This episode is sponsored by JDAQA Software Testing, your scalable solution for manual, automated, security, and performance testing. Check us out at JDAQA.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. This is the first customer hosted by Jay Agnew. Everyone, my name is Jay Wagner. Welcome to the First Customer Podcast. I'm lucky enough to be joined by John Sicilian of Sicilian Partners. John, how are you, buddy? Fine, Jay. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here on this uh, Monday. Yes, this Monday. It is Monday all over again. So Sicilian Partners, we were just talking a little bit about it. It's a prop tech company, which I find very interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it. But let's talk about where you came from. Where'd you grow up and you know, kind of what impact, if any, did that have on your entrepreneurial journey? That's a great question. So I've had the privilege of, of living all over the U.S. I was actually raised by an, an entrepreneur. So I was born in Chicago, uh, lived in South Florida, and then I've been in really the Northeast the last 25 years. My mother, believe it or not, had a, a real estate strategic marketing and branding company that served the exact same crop of clients that we serve today. And she started that business from the ground up and very much had a, a lot of opportunity to learn from her. My professional background, however, is, believe it or not, in retail. So for about 17 or 18 years, I worked for a bunch of different global brands, started cut my teeth at Abercrombie & Fitch in the early 2000s, and had the privilege of working for a variety of others, Michael Kors, Under Armour, just to name a few. Yeah, so, I saw right. all of those. It was like the who's who of like 90s, 2000s brands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Paxson and a yep. bunch of Michael Kors, like you said, and a bunch of other ones. So I saw you went to a couple colleges, right? To was it Villanova? And what is the yep, other one? Yep. So I went to Duquesne University for my right. undergraduate degree out in Pittsburgh, and then I went to Villanova for my MBA. Okay, cool. And so how did you, what the retail journey that you went through, where did you yeah. kind of start to, to etch that you wanted to do your own thing? Good question. So, you know, retail's tough with the advent of Amazon really throughout the 2000s. It really changed how retailers think about brick and mortar retail. And so you've had this sort of evolution of brick and mortar retail meets e-commerce, meets mobile commerce, uh, and it sort of redid how jobs were allocated to many of these organizations. Uh, for me personally, I was sort of the, the, the byproduct of layoff. Uh, so I had almost three layoffs over the course of 18 months. In the back of my mind, I always sort of thought with the idea of becoming an entrepreneur and having the, I think, uh, both stamina and uh, bravery uh, to be able to kind of go out and go out on my own to make it happen. And I really took sort of that final layoff, Labor Day weekend 2018 as sort of the trigger to finally go out and bring all the things I learned in and around retail and how you engage with customers and bring that to residential real estate, which I think is a, an industry starving for help when it comes to customer engagement. Interesting. What do you think, I mean, obviously you're kind of forced into it, but what during that course of your career did you kind of build up to to be able to say, right, on this last layoff, now's the time. What did you learn? Like what was kind of the final straw, if you will, you know, what did you learn to kind of propel you into being an entrepreneur as opposed to just going back to another retail place? Sure. So I will say, I'll be very candid. I think part of it is that I was angry. I think I was sick of executing other founders' visions. Mm -hmm. I thought, I think it was time to sort of take my own vision and actually glean all the things I adopted from working for some of incredible founders that were out there. Uh, I had the privilege of working for organizations, founders, so companies as big as uh, Michael Kors, as big as Under Armour. I had the privilege of having, you know, peer-to-peer -peer or face-to-face -face interaction with these men and women that wanted to cultivate and build these brands. And so I think for me, I felt that I had enough knowledge uh, to be able to go out and sort of realize my vision. 
and mm -hmm. no longer sort of be the service person for others' visions, if that makes sense. How did you decide on what the vision was going to be for your company when you stepped out? So I had a very clear vision of what was broken in and around real estate. My wife and I, about a decade ago, bought a production home from a builder, and we really felt that our experience buying and experiencing production home sales, right? So you go through a process of touring model home visits, going online, going in person. It was so broken. I didn't mm -hmm. understand why the process of shopping for, let's say, a half a million dollar home was more cumbersome and dislocated than buying a great pair of sneakers at Under Armour or buying a handbag at Michael Kors. In my mind, I thought, geez, this is supposed to be the singular most important purchase of someone's lifetime. And it doesn't feel like it's being treated that way. And so part of my sort of hypothesis was, can I adopt and bring in this retail methodology of thinking to all things residential real estate? And that, I think, was sort of the start of how things began to unwind. Interesting. Did you set out to solve that problem? What were your kind of first steps to to Yeah, my, so my first steps were to see if I was uh, full of baloney or not. And here's what I did. I decided to secret shop Toll Brothers. So right here in, in Greater Philadelphia, Toll Brothers corporate offices in Horsham, Pennsylvania, which is in our backyard, if you will. And I had the privilege of touring 12 of their communities between really New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I wrote up a report on what my experience was like through customer experience, both on the online side as well as the person side. I took that report and I sent it to their then chief marketing officer, a woman named Kira Sterling and their CEO, a gentleman named Doug Yearly. And when I sent that out for them to review, I got their attention. They actually asked me to come on site and share with them my findings of what the experience was, where the opportunities were. And that gave me tremendous like validation and mm -hmm. that my hypothesis of what I thought was broken was indeed broken. And, and, and Toll Brothers was working to get that fixed you know, in short order, but it was very validating, you know, doing this in sort of an unpaid, a unique way, right? I just stood in front of these men and women that were all at the time, you know, gainfully employed. Yours truly at that time was unemployed. And I was, I, I let it rip. I, I decided to, to put my full self out there. And that was such a validating moment that gave me the courage, I think, to move forward. Where did it go from there? I'm very curious. How, I mean, it's, yeah, that's so, such a unique story. I'd love to hear yeah. a little more. So that would have been uh, the fall of 2018, late fall. So call it like October, November, 20, 2018. Um, from there, I uh, decided to go to pitch a, a residential developer out of Dallas-Fort Worth on my big idea of how to solve the customer journey. And when I pitched him that idea, he told me that he had a software product that they built in-house that they thought was going to change the game for community development and home building. And I asked him to show it to me. And so when he showed it to me, I realized that that product was built really only for their organization. It wasn't something that could be commercialized, wasn't off the shelf, required mm -hmm. some TLC and some real development work. And so I gave a commitment to him. I said, hey, look, I believe that I can build a team around this idea, my idea and customer experience, your software product, but I can build a team to commercialize this product and get it where it needs to go. And I said, give me six months and I think I can raise a million dollars on this idea. So we put together a uh, sort of a combination of a purchase agreement and an operating agreement. And I went out and made that happen. I did a million dollars in six months. So January, 2019, I started my business. June 3rd, 2019, I became fully operational, brought on my co-founder and a couple other teammates. And the rest has been a wild ride, to say the least, Jay. So. Everybody's got pandemic fatigue, like sure. talking about, but it is such a, formative time especially 
an impactful time and a formative time in your business. Um, how did, what did that mean for you guys at the time? Mm. It was very scary. Uh, I think that's something that's not talked about. I think you go out on your own. I married with two children. Uh, you know, I was uh, paying myself very little to kind of believe in this idea. We were working out of the basement of my house uh, in 2019 and we were, you know, working towards a goal. Uh, we did not know what to expect. I think there were so many unknown variables. Uh, obviously, the, the, the global reaction to the pandemic and what that did created a lot of worried and a lot of headwinds for about six months. And then there was a shift. And that shift actually was a benefit, believe it or not, a behavioral benefit to who our clients are. Mm -hmm. Here's what I mean. That shift with COVID-19 in the peak of 2020 into early 2021 resulted in new home construction sales skyrocketing. And people that were living in sort of urban dwell were now leaving, going into the suburbs. And so these markets that were once growing started to grow even faster. Markets like Austin, Texas, Denver, Colorado, places in sort of the suburbs of New Jersey and Philadelphia all of a sudden became this hyper growth. And what that resulted in is home builders and land developers needing great software to help them understand that journey for the customer. Hmm. Geez, how do I manage my lot inventory? How do I tell my community story? How do I manage all of these incoming leads and do it in a way that's digitized? You know, Jay, one thing you should know that's important is that in residential real estate, we do business like it's 1990. You know, there are so many third-party studies of industries who are late adopters. Uh, it's all things technology and innovation. And believe it or not, agriculture was ahead of real estate uh, <laughs> in this study done in 2020 by McKinsey and Harvard Business School. Really, really funny stuff. So I say it's sort of tongue in cheek, but it's real. It's, you know, COVID-19 forced our industry to adopt new behaviors, new innovation in a way that otherwise they might not have done. Interesting. Cool. Do you think, how tied is your business to those new home sales? And is it somewhat, you know, is it somewhat insulated because there's always going to be new home sales? And you're well said. Just, yeah. It's, always gonna, it's definitely gonna the latter. It's definitely the latter. It's definitely insulated because people need homes, whether it's a built for rent product or whether it's a new home, people need homes in all, in all major markets. I think that's a very realized thing. Um, at the same time, I will say to you that it is a little bit insular in that we are not a cost center to our clients, right? We very much are providing both the service as well as a way to visualize and realize data that is exciting, right? So it's not like they write us off as a cost center or a nice to have. We are making our clients faster, more efficient in a way they never were before. And I think that's why we are foundationally different as an organization. Interesting. So what do you think, um, you know, I'm not going to say took you so long, but what, uh, what took the time to start the business for you? Was it, you needed the experience over those years to kind of see how to be a business owner? What, why didn't you start this business 10 years ago, uh, as opposed to when you did? So there's a series of events that got me there and I'll try to give you the abridged version. So those series of events are, I, my undergraduate degree is in organized psychology. I've always loved people, behavior, and the studies of team. Organized psychology, organizational development is essentially how organizations, corporations are formed, right? Understanding pod management, people management, why there's layers and sort of how these org structures come together and, and human behavior behind that. And uh, I was recruited by Abercrombie and Fitch in college to sort of be in their manager and training program. And so my undergraduate degree was very complementary to sort of managing teams of people, building strong teams, allowing that to kind of happen and evolve. Fast forward, I am at working for Under Armour, realizing that I probably have some opportunity to understand traditional finance and accounting in a way that you can learn on the job, but business school will help. So 
I applied to a variety of different executive MBA programs. I got into Villanova's executive MBA program and a handful of others. I chose Nova for a whole host of reasons. One of the greatest schools in the region, love what they stood for. There's a whole, a couple other ideas there too. But within that, I was there from 2014 to 2016 and had the privilege of meeting a guy named Ned Moore. And Ned Moore is a serial entrepreneur here in greater Philadelphia. He, I have tremendous respect for Ned. He's become a mentor for me. He's a board member today of Sicilian Partners. But he recruited me when I was in grad school to work for him because he sold a loyalty commerce platform to all, everybody in retail. And so I was sort of their industry SME, if you will. And it was exciting, Jay, because I had the opportunity of learning from an entrepreneur and understanding software as a service and seeing how he built multitude of businesses. But that business specifically, that company is called Clutch. It's out of Ambler, Pennsylvania. And I learned a great deal from Ned. So that park, if you will, from 2017 to 2018 is when I got laid off at Clutch because they had a reduction in force, which is sort of standard for, I think, early stage tech companies. But within that period of time, I learned so much. It was like a secondary schooling. It began really the momentum for me to think about, gosh, I think I could do this. I think that there's something there. But you have to be willing as an entrepreneur to believe in yourself before anything else. If you don't have clear vision and you don't have the confidence to do what you want to do, I do not think that you will be successful. I think it creates a whole laundry list of challenges. So to be honest, over 17 years of retail management, working for a bunch of brands, I always flirted with the idea. I just didn't have, I just wasn't ready. I just wasn't aligned to, to, to do it, do it right. Interesting. No, yeah. That's not the same. Is that the, which clutch is the clutch, the tech where you sign? No, there's a bunch of clutches to okay. your point. So it's okay. called Clutch Holdings. Clutch is a effectively a loyalty management platform. Okay. They work with point of sale solutions, e-commerce solutions, if you will, gift card solutions too. Okay. I wasn't sure which which clutch it was. So who was your first customer? I mean, who you kind of talked about a little bit, but I mean, who would you call your first yeah, customer? It doesn't have to be named, great, but who was no, your I, first customer? I, I could tout it and talk about sure. it because it's all about relationships. And I think it's, and this is obviously the most important part of what we're talking about today. Our first customer was a group out of Orlando, Florida called Tavistock Development Company. Tavistock Development Company uh, develops Lake Nona uh, outside of Orlando, Florida, as well as another group called Sunbridge are the two big projects they do. But over the years, I developed a relationship with a guy named Jim Zaborl. Jim Zaborl at the time was the president of Tavistock's real estate portfolio. And what I learned in that first customer piece was it was an incredible, I think, catapult to, for us to earn trust and respect in the industry because mm -hmm. Tavistock is so highly regarded. The reason why I think we earned that deal is because I formed a relationship with Jim that, there, that was based on a foundation of trust. So he knew that we were a four-man company or very early stage trying to make it work, but he knew that we had a group of people that were smart, driven, and unified with vision and could really help his company. And I think because we had that foundation of trust, it allowed us to deliver for them now. We had a tremendous amount of mistakes. It was very difficult to deliver our platform in the time in which we thought we could. And so there was sort of an understanding in that Jim said, hey, look, you're going to learn. We're going to learn, but you're also going to learn, right? So there's right. this kind of unique dynamic of, can you develop that foundation of trust with a would-be client because you've been open and candid the entire time and you've set the right expectation that you can make some mistakes along the way uh, and also continue to learn. And I think that's why we had such success with our first customer. But I think it's worrisome, Jay. Like many organizations, in my opinion, or many founders might not be willing to be radically candid with their customer and mm -hmm. be able to tell a very clear story of, hey, look, we're early. Uh, this is going to be bumpy, but we're going to make it work. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know how many people feel comfortable in that way, but 
that was a great learning lesson for me. They're still a customer today. They've been a customer for four years. Uh, and it's been a wonderful ride with them. And But it was a tremendous amount of learnings there in the, in the very beginning. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the people who are not comfortable are typically, they don't put that forward that they are, it is going to be rocky from the start, right? They try that nice shiny veneer and that everything's going to be perfect. And they try to be the brand that they think they want to be down the road. But it sounds like you kind of set expectations from the jump that like, we're going to learn together, which is, I think is a great way to put it. So if you had to start Cecilian Partners over again tomorrow with the lessons you've learned so far, what would be step one? I think step one, that's a hard question. I think that I would raise more money from the beginning. I think that one of the things that my co-founder Phil and I have always done is try to protect our equity as long as possible. And I think when you start a business or in your late 30s, early 40s, yours truly, you know, you have a different take on what it is you're trying to build. Um, but you're scrappy. And being scrappy is really hard because it, it limits your ability to grow. It limits your choices. So I do think step one would be raising more money and be willing to give up more equity in the beginning, believe it mm -hmm. or not, than where we currently sit today. Interesting. So I heard that. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Like you said, in my late 30s, I'm right there with you. What do you think are three kind of healthy things mentally, physically, you know, whatever it is as an entrepreneur, as a dad, as a husband that you're trying to do to daily basis to increase your longevity as a human being on this earth? Great question. So I have three kids, Stella, Delilah, and this business. And I will tell you that I shouldn't say that because at the end of the day, to put my business at the same level of importance as my children is sort of a unique thing. Right. One of the things that I, I talk a lot about, but I wish I did more, is the opportunity of really investing in self. And investing in self can be things like anything fitness, whatever that would be to you as the, uh, whoever's listening or engaging today. Uh, that could be something simple as a walk, uh, a great bike ride, a run, uh, competing in an event. But I do think that sort of sense of self and making sure that you find that even 15 minutes a day to mm -hmm. get outside and move. Uh, I think that movement is such an important thing. The second thing, I would argue is open communication with sort of your circle. So think about kind of that hub and spoke analogy, right? Where you're in the center and the outside of those spokes should be your founder and business people, those that are closest to you, an advisor, mentor, board member, right? Your spouse, right? Even your children to a degree as you kind of go around the wheel. Mm -hmm. And this idea of being able to be open and candid with how you're doing all the time. I think that's not comfortable for everybody, but open and steadfast communication is a huge plus. It works for me. People know where you're coming from. People have context and it allows you to get things out, which I think is really important. The third is diet. I do think that what we put in our bodies really does matter. I think that you have to be sort of mindful of what that is. No doubt as things become stressful, we might make bad choices. Maybe we drink more alcohol or, or eat more sugar or smoke a cigar or whatever those things right. are. We do to try to limit those, but still allow yourself to have those with grace. Believe it or not, I think is important. I don't think it's a cut it all out, but I do think moderation is key with what you put in your body and making sure you have sort of those balanced things, right? So sure, enjoy having that ice cream, but make sure you try to eat balanced, whatever that looks like and get those nutritional needs that you need so you can feel better, I think is core. So again, you know, fitness or movement, communication, and really what you put in your body, whatever that is. I love the communication one. I love all three of them, but I love the communication one especially. I, that's something I've tried to get better and I think not always just the ability to recognize that you're wrong sometimes, like yeah. you're not like, 
like that's been the biggest key for me especially with you know, my wife and my kids is like i don't have all the answers but like it's okay to say that you don't have all the answers as long yeah. as you're you know, willing to listen and change and, and grow so i love all three of those mystery question last one i've been steering this away from business because the business answer is the easy one where you can just say my business would be the greatest thing what yeah. what's something you would do if you knew you couldn't fail wow that's a crazy question, right? But it's it's a, it's maybe it's a bucket list item, maybe it's whatever. I don't know. What would what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Gosh, I, I don't get stumped, Jay. That's a good question. <laughs> I would I wouldn't do anything, actually. Really? So I'm wired different than most. Here's what I mean by that question. The reason why I wouldn't do it is because it ain't worth doing. You see, to me, the the notion of failure excites me. Because I know that when you fail, you learn. And that to me, the idea of being able to make that, take that risk and overcome what that might be gives me a great sense of worth. Hmm. An example of that is in 2017, I decided to train for an Ironman event. I've been, I, was a, I was an active cyclist for many, many years and wanted to do something really hard and different. And an Ironman event is sort of a, a crazy thing. It's a 140.6, right? Swim, bike, run. You swim mm -hmm. 2.4 miles, you, you bike 112, and you, you run a marathon. Crazy idea. And I set myself up for six months. I trained as hard as I could. I went out to Lake Placid, and I finished that Ironman event in 15 hours and change. What's my point? My point is that that, to me, has so many room for failure and so much opportunity not to finish. And that after that event, Jay, it rewired my brain around what you physically and mentally can do if you put focus on it, which still has so many failure points, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Uh, and so right. to me, that's a great question, but I don't know if I would do anything. I think I would just say, you know, because it doesn't have the same level of merit or value, right? I think that's what's so interesting. Um, that is an interesting take on the question. I haven't, I've heard people weasel out of the question, but I don't qualify <laughs> that as weasling. Out of the yeah. Fair, you, you qualified it, so I'll accept it. You let it slide? Uh, All right. you, know, you definitely qualify. But it's a great point. I mean, it's a great point. Like everything that's, a little scary is the things that kind of drives yeah. you to do better things. So that's a fair, that's a fair answer. All right. So where can they find you? Where can they find sure. Sicilian partners? Like how do people yeah. get in touch if they're looking to learn more about you and your project? Yeah, for sure. So just a simple Google search, SicilianPartners.com. You can learn everything about myself and my team. SicilianPartners.com will tell the story of who we are, what we're about. We have a really great LinkedIn presence as well. We really try to share twice a week all the things we're doing for our customers, our community, as well as our teammates as well. We're really proud this year, actually, through the Philadelphia Business Journal, we're awarded as one of Philadelphia's best places to work. So mm -hmm. I'm very proud of that. We're really creating a culture of belonging for people. And I think that they feel really excited about being part of Sicilian. So uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to find. Awesome. Thanks. Well, congratulations yeah. on that honor. That is a big honor. People to want to work with you. That's been my biggest thing as a business owner. Well, it's been great, man. You're Jay, an inspiring you, guy. I think people can learn some stuff from the stuff we talked about today. I hope people reach out to you to learn more. So, John, Appreciate it's been it. great, and we'll talk talk soon. Talk soon. Be well. Thanks, Thanks so much, Jeff. Yeah. You too.